with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast, episode 139, believe right. it or not. Is that actually correct, Brian? That is correct. Okay. I, I trust your... Uh, I count every day. Your bookkeeping skills, so That's I want right. to make sure. The, one of the most organized people... Who I know, none other than Fran Duffy, as always. As I scribble notes here, and what is this, uh, like a colored, a colored pencil or whatever it is that I'm <laughs> it's writing It's the first thing with. we can find. <laughs> uh, Chris McPherson here. Uh, we're back at the NovaCare Complex. Had a fun week in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, it's an interesting time because all the eyes of the NFL world are focused on the Super Bowl taking place this week in Atlanta. Uh, but a lot of work being done behind the scenes. And Fran, I thought you had some great interviews with Scout Pat Stewart, our national scout, and Joe Douglas, our VP of Player Personnel, about what kind of happens from now until the scouting combine. That's when I think all the other draft stuff will really heat up. Again, everyone's focused on the Super Bowl right now between the Rams and the Patriots. Uh, but I think you provide some really good insight through those interviews with what's happening with teams like the Eagles who are trying to get back to that championship game next season. Yeah, I think really this is the time when uh, you know boards aren't necessarily being set, but you're going to start to see the early framework start to get put together, uh, and really it's going to just come down to to lists as you know the coaches start getting incorporated into the uh, to the process, and you know obviously free agency is all happening behind the scenes as well because uh, you know the, that's where the pro scouting staff is all working on. Coaches are obviously going to be looking at upcoming free agents as well, so uh, it's definitely a very hectic time even for those teams that aren't down there in Atlanta. All right, a lot to get into in today's episode. We have Draft Buzz with Tony Pauline. He's going to have some of the fallout from the Senior Bowl and react to some of the reports that are out there and also give us perspective on a mock draft selection for the Eagles along the defensive line. So that'll be one you'll definitely want to check out. Our pick six, now that we have the underclassmen to add to the mix and Fran has been furiously grinding away on the tape. How, how many players have you gotten through since... Uh, we returned from Mobile, not including the plane, but actually got back to Philadelphia. Oh, not including the plane, not as many as I would hope for, but okay. uh, double digits. Double sure. digits. Okay, so we're gonna our pick six will be underclassmen who have us the most excited to check out moving forward. Our Mister Relevant coming off the Senior Bowl, its executive director Jim Nagy just completed his first year in the position. We'll get his take on the practice players of the week, the game itself, and some of the challenges that he had to face in his first year on the job. Our unofficial visit. Jalen Ferguson, the pass rusher extraordinaire from Louisiana Tech, the all-time FBS leader in sacks. And last but not least, your questions in our draft mailbag. Again, remember to rate, review, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We definitely appreciate all the feedback, and we're going to have to have some prizes, I think, in the coming weeks for those who have been consistent contributors to the program. So up next, we're going to kick things off with our draft buzz, courtesy of none other than Mr. Tony Pauline. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. I, I am really excited, Fran, because I don't usually get to be a part of the Draft Buzz segment with the Tony Pauline, draftanalyst.com, at Tony Pauline on Twitter. It, it's, I don't know what to do. It's hard to contain the excitement right now. He brings the heat every single week. Certainly I'm does. to hear what he's got after uh, Senior Bowl Saturday. Ton of juice. So, Tony, why don't we, we start with the Senior Bowl, the game itself. We spent the week with you watching the practices. Uh, in the game itself, Daniel Jones of Duke was the game's MVP. 
Andy Isabella, Tyree Jackson, the outstanding players on the North and South squads, respectively. Who do you think helped themselves most in the game on Saturday? Well, I'll go with Andy Isabella because he had a bad week of practice, but he was really good during the game. And, you know, that's what he, that's what he showed all year, you know, during the season. He's a gamer. Uh, scouts are still going to have to overlook the fact that he's got short arms, small hands, and he lost that a lot during a week of, during a week of practice. But the bottom line is, you know, he is a gamer. I thought Hunter Renfro also had a good game after being up and down uh, throughout the week of practice. There are a lot of people that like him, but they like him for what he is, the last day pick who's going to be a number four receiver at the next level, but is going to be, you know, going to have a long career uh, as a utility receiver in the NFL. I also thought Tony Pollard had a good game. Basically, he extended what we saw throughout the week, and that is he's got some big playability. He's got some home run hitting speed. Uh, had a couple of nice long runs. I, I thought Pollard really helped himself in the game and capitalized on what was a solid three days of practice for him. On the flip side, Tony, were there any guys you were disappointed by who may have had a strong week of practice and then you're like, all right, let's see that translate to the game and then not perform as well as they did during the week? I can't – I'm not going to say that, you know, because the game is a little bit difficult, you, you know, with the limited playing time and <laughs> switching the ball over. I, I will say this. Uh, Chris Boyd of Texas had a bad game, which was just an extension of a bad week of practice. So I, I think Chris Boyd, uh, the entire week uh, last uh, last week in, in Mobile, the game and the practices were not kind to him. And, and he's someone who leaves Mobile with draft stock that I think is probably a round and a half to two rounds later than when he entered the uh, entered the the event. Getting now into the underclassmen. A record 135 declaring, and Peter King in his weekly column for NBC Sports reports there's buzz about Kyler Murray, the quarterback from Texas or from Oklahoma, I should say, going in the top 10. If is that actually possible? And if so, who would be the potential suitors there in the top 10? I mean, honestly, at this point in time, I don't put much credibility into something like that. I think it's a bunch of people who don't follow the draft year-round or are now trying to outscoop each other. I, the fact is this is no one, no one in a decision-making, uh, decision-making seat or decision-making position in the NFL has spoken with Kyler Murray yet. Uh, they may want to say he, you know, he plays like a top-10 pick, but he's under 5'10". He has a baseball career. You don't know what's going to happen moving forward. So I don't think anybody is in the top ten is saying, yeah, we like this guy, Peter King, yeah, we like this guy, we may take him. I mean, the one spot could be Denver, and it's more so because Denver makes, with John Elway, they makes a lot of questionable decisions and a lot of questionable picks at the, uh, at the quarterback spot, although I hear that they are heavily leaning towards Drew Locke. But I think right now it's just fodder that's being thrown out there, you know, uh, for readers to consume. I don't put a lot of credibility in that let's talk about that the week after the combine when teams and NFL general managers and head coaches are able to sit down with Kyler Murray, grill him during interviews. He's actually measured. We see how tall he is, hand size, etc. And then we can have that conversation about Kyler Murray potentially landing in the top ten. Do you think that he'll at least go in the first round, meaning that I'm going to assume Drew Locke, from Missouri, you mentioned at the Senior Bowl, Daniel Jones from Duke. Do you think those three are definitive first-round quarterbacks? And if that's the case, do you think there's a potential for a fourth in there? Well, you're forgetting Dwayne Haskins, who will be the first quarterback selected. And 
I mean, could there be four quarterbacks taken in round one? There could be, I believe, with Kyler Murray being the fourth. Uh, but but a lot of things have to pan out, especially for uh, for Murray. I mean, it's possible because the demand out uh, the demand outstrips the supply at the position, and we always see quarterbacks who are, are selected higher. I think with Kyler Murray right now, just the best guess before you know we go through the process. I think Kyler Murray, once he gets past that. 15th, 16th pick, he may start to slide uh, until, unless a team wants to move up from the second round uh, to grab him. Because, you know, like I said, that, that baseball background could work both ways. It could hurt him because if he's not selected as high, or as, high as he wants, he can say, listen, I'm out the door. I'm playing for the Oakland A's who are offering him a ton of money. Yeah, and I agree with you, Tony. I think that that might be the the most logical solution to this. Is at the end of the day, uh, you know, similar to Lamar Jackson at the end of the first round last year, the you know, the Eagles were able to find a trade partner. They trade back into the second round. They get a future pick. They're able to move back, take Dallas Goddard, the Baltimore Ravens trade up and get their guy. Wouldn't surprise me at all if that's what happened uh, with Kyler Murray. And Chris, Chris, I know you've got one more too about the that Peter King report. Certainly, yeah. He also noted that from an edge rusher standpoint, this was his other note from the column in terms of coming out of the senior bowl that Nick Bosa is a top edge rusher out of Ohio State but after him it's a player who was invited to Mobile Alabama originally accepted his invite and then declined and that's Kentucky's Josh Allen do you think that he's the second best edge rusher in this class or at least are you hearing that as a possibility from teams I've not heard that I mean right now I have Cleveland Farrell of uh, Clemson rated higher as a quote-unquote edge rusher uh, than Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen can do more things than Cleveland Farrell as far as dropping him off the line of scrimmage and playing him in space. He's more of a true three-down, three-four outside linebacker uh, than Cleveland Farrell. But I, I think Farrell is probably the better pass rusher as far as I'm concerned. All right, Tony. So leaving the senior ball, you know, my, my eyes immediately start going towards the underclassmen and literally on the flight Home from Mobile, uh, you know, I, I turned my attention towards Jawan Taylor, the, the right tackle from Florida who declared for the draft. Tony, this kid was really, really impressive on film. I, I was shocked at, at how, not, you know, not that I had bad feelings about him going in, but he was really, really impressive. I mean, to me, like, looked like a guy that had the total package in terms of size, athleticism, strength, power. Uh, his hand use is a little bit wonky. You know, his footwork can get a little bit, you know, it can be a little bit up and down. Uh, but those are all things that can get worked on. To me, Juwan Taylor looked like a guy that had upside through the roof. What have you heard about Juwan Taylor? And what do you think the upside is in terms of how high? high he could get drafted this April? Uh, right when I had uh, reported uh, officially or, or broke the news that Zakai Polite had uh, officially entered the draft, which is something we spoke about on this podcast for months, say, at that same time the person told me that Juwan Taylor was going to be the first offensive tackle selected. And this was at a time when I was basically battling with people who thought that Jonah Williams of Alabama was going to be a top ten pick. It, it, Scouts have felt all along, or the scouts in the area that cover uh, the, uh, the SEC, cover Alabama, cover Florida, that Juwan Taylor, had he entered the draft, was going to be a, was going to be the first tackle taken. How high does he go? Right now, it looks like he's going to be a top 15 pick. I've seen where some people have him in the top 10. I'm not willing to jump or walk out on that limb yet. Again, with an underclassman, you want to see what his dimensions are. You want to see what how he works out. But you're right. I mean, he is a big guy who dominated. 
you know, at the point of attack, especially when considering that coming into the year, Ivy, the other offensive tackle, was considered the better prospect, and Taylor just got better and better and better. I think he's going to be a top 15 selection. Could he go top 10? I'm sure. I mean, uh, you know, Jacksonville Jaguars, if they don't, if they lose on the quarterback, probably could use another offensive lineman. Uh, so there's a possibility that he could slide into the top 10 if he has good workouts and everything checks out. Like you said, the focus turns to underclassmen, and with the underclassmen, there's a lot of unknowns, and those questions aren't going to be answered for another month and a half. It's interesting, Tony, because Fran was crushing the film on the flight back, and he would be like an excited kid every time he saw a play. He would like <laughs> he would like hand over the tablet and be like, "You gotta see this, you gotta see this play," and like check it out. It's like I get it, Fran. I get it. I reached so. across the aisle multiple times to shake Chris away yeah. and say, "Look, hey, look at look at this kid <laughs> making this play. Look at this block. Look at this block." So, but uh, one of the players he was watching Tony Pollard, you know, from yep. Memphis because he didn't really get a chance to see him too much before the Senior Bowl. But Fran, you were looking at a lot of the other running backs as well. Yeah, you know, that's kind of been my where I've kind of focused my attention early this week has been the, the underclassmen running backs. And, you know, we saw one of them last week in Tony Pollard. But looking at some of the bigger names, you know, I watched the two Alabama kids this morning. Damien Harris is a senior. But uh, while I was watching Josh Jacobs, I figured I'd watch Harris. And that's where I'll start, Tony. With these two Alabama kids, because Damian Harris has been my was my number one senior coming into the year, I, I feel pretty good about that evaluation. I lo- to me, like Damian Harris is just the best pure player at the running back position in this draft. Maybe not the best prospect, but in terms of playing right now, I think Damian Harris has what you want. Then you have Josh Jacobs, who. The buzz is just continues to build about this kid. You know, the, the junior running back from Alabama who declared. What have you heard about Josh Jacobs in the last few weeks? I know that the the buzz was starting to build last time you had heard about him as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, Harris is more, when you compare the two, Harris is more of a downhill back, but Josh Jacobs has a little more versatility, which is what teams want. He's better running around the perimeter. He's more creative back. He's probably as good a pass catcher out of the backfield. And the thing about those Alabama backs is, they don't have a lot of wear and tear on their body. I mean, Josh Jacobs was primarily the number three back at Alabama uh, behind uh, Harris, uh, behind Harris and, and the other kid who's a sophomore. So, uh, you know, you're looking at a kid that's got an incredible amount of athleticism. He's a gifted ball carrier. You can with Josh Jacobs, you can run him on the inside. You can turn the corner. He shows some creativity. And they're saying, you know what, this guy is just tapping his, his, his potential now. While there's great up with, with great upside comes a bit of downside risk because while you hope he reaches the potential, you know there's also chances that he may never get to that. So there's also a bit of downside risk which you have to be guarded against. But I think when you look at the two or you're comparing the two, it's just that Josh Jacobs has more versatility to be used around the corner, to be used around the peri- perimeter, to be used in space as a creative ball carrier. When compared to Damian Harris, who I also like Harris a lot, but he's more of a downhill type of ball carrier. Yeah, I think that would be kind of the easy way to sum it up, is that Harris probably has the higher floor. I would agree, probably more of a banger in between the tackles, whereas Jacobs has a little bit more juice. He's a powerful guy as well. Uh, I posted a shot earlier today on Twitter of him just laying out Austin Bryant on a run block. I mean, the kid's got some natural power to him, um, but I would agree the upside's probably higher with Jacobs, but the floor definitely higher with Harris. All right, so two other running backs I want to ask you about because I watched them on Monday. Devin Singletary from FAU has been super productive the last couple of years for Lane Kiffin down there. And then Justice Hill from Oklahoma State, who has been also productive throughout the course of his career with the Cowboys. I think both these guys have a lot of lateral juice. You know, they've got great lateral movement, the ability to make people miss. I think both guys kind of have shades of LaShawn McCoy, former Eagles running back, in terms of their, their wiggle, their ability uh, to create with the ball in their hands. What are you hearing about both guys and how high both of them could go in this draft? 
Yeah, I mean, they're, like you said, they're both creative ball carriers. Uh, LeSean McCoy, I think, caught a lot of people by surprise with his durability. Uh, both of these guys, Singletary played in Conference USA. Uh, the other kid played in the Oklahoma State system. Justice Hill played in the Oklahoma State system, which is a wide-open system. You know, it remains to be seen whether or not uh, they're going to be able to be feature runners as LeSean McCoy was coming out of Pittsburgh. Um, they're not backs for everybody. You know, some teams like the bigger backs. These guys are not bigger bigger ball carriers. Uh, I, I think uh, second day is possible for uh, for Singletary. I think uh, Justice Hill is more of a fourth-round pick. I will tell you this. The underclassman back right now that's getting the most buzz that I'm hearing is Daryl Henderson of Memphis, Pollard's uh, teammate. Okay. And Henderson of Memphis is being compared to Devonta Freeman. That's how much people like him. Wow. And he could go somewhere in, in early in round two. If you watch Henderson play, I mean, he is a guy that if, if given the slightest bit of space, he is gone. I mean, he has great speed to beat defenders into, uh, into the open field and then run to daylight. But he's also a tough ball carrier. He's a guy who's not afraid to pound it on the inside, and he shows a great amount of creativity. So while you know, you're reading about Devin Singletary and Justice Hill, for the past couple of weeks I've been told that Daryl Henderson of Memphis is the guy that's going to go early. And again, the comparison that they were making is to Devonta Freeman. See, Tony just drops nuggets. That's it. Each and every week. That's why I absolutely love this here. So, Tony, to close things out, uh, the tradition here is a mock draft roundup. And we're going to go to Kaylin Collar from Sports Illustrated. She has the Eagles taking Dexter Lawrence out of Clemson with a 25th overall selection. Your thoughts on the pick for the Eagles there? It's not a bad selection. I mean, they, they could fortify the, uh, that interior of the defensive line with Holly Nada being an un- unrestricted free agent and he being closer to 40 than, uh, uh, than he was uh, a year ago. And Timmy Jernigan, you don't know what's happening with him. I mean, that is a consideration. I will say that uh, I think they're going to look at pass rusher and free agency. I was very impressed with what I saw with Andre Dillard of Washington State uh, last week, and I think that's a guy that the Eagles uh, will consider or should consider late in round one because as Fran and I talked about, you know, you want to make Carson Wentz a, a productive quarterback. You want to make Carson Wentz a, have, help him have a long, durable career. You've got to protect him. Um, I, I think Dexter Lawrence makes sense depending on who else is available when the Eagles are called to the clock. Certainly. Uh, Fran, your thoughts on Dexter Lawrence? I know you've studied him on two. He was actually, I, ironically, he was one of the guys I studied uh, on the flight home from, from Mobile as well. I think Lawrence is interesting. I mean, definitely a better run defender than pass, pressure, uh, pass rusher. I think if you really, really like Dexter Lawrence, like you hope that he can be an Indomitian Sioux kind of player. Wow. Like that's what you hope for. I don't think that he's that kind of freak show athlete that Sue was. I mean, Sue at his size, the way that he was able to move, I, I, you don't necessarily see that all the time with Lawrence. I think it's more than likely that he kind of turns into a you know a snacks Harrison Linval Joseph type of player and in, in that he's an outstanding dynamic uh, run defender that can give you you know solid pass rush productivity but he's not known for his ability to get after the quarterback. Yeah, I would say that Christian Wilkins is closer to Indomitian Sue than uh, than Dexter Lawrence. And right. what Dexter Lawrence is is you know he's a big man who when focused on the game and on the task at hand plays big man football. He, he shows surprising athleticism for a big guy. He's got a quick first step, and when he plays with proper fundamentals and bends his knees and plays with good pad level, he's unstoppable. The problem is, is he doesn't always do it. I mean, sometimes he gets upright and is easily neutralized at the point of attack. To me, sometimes it, doesn't, it seems like the motor isn't always running, uh, which is a problem, especially with a bigger man. You have the off-season issue, you know, with the peds. Why is a guy that big 
you know, taking pads rather than working on his on his game. Uh, I mean, the, you know, we talked before about uh, uh, about uh, Josh Jacobs and the sky being the limit. I think it's like that plus some for Dexter Lawrence. But when you're talking about big men on the defensive line, sometimes it doesn't pan out. Lawrence has got a tremendous amount of upside. And I agree with Fran. I mean, he's a better run stuffer, guy who can collapse the pocket, guy who can bull rush opponents off the line than he is a natural pass rusher. Although, you know, pass rushing, you know, you talk about pass rushing, pass rushing stats, sacks are one thing, but being able to get pressure off the field and have the quarterback move his feet and move from the pocket you know, that, that's also just as good. Dexter Lawrence can do that when he's focused on the task at hand. But when you watch the film, it's just not always, he doesn't seem like he's going, the motor's always running, which, which is a question mark, which is why he's going to go from a potential top 15 pick to likely bottom third of round one. Tony, we'll let you get back inside the film room. We know you spent an entire day on the Clemson prospects, so there's a lot more underclassmen to, uh, to scout before we get to the combine in a few weeks, Tony. Tony Pauline, draftanalyst.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Tony Pauline. And also, if you want some great references to Led Zeppelin, it's a good Twitter account for that as well. Tony, appreciate it as always. My pleasure, as usual. Thanks for having me. Now it's time for Pick 6. Great stuff, as always, from Tony. Now we're going to get into Pick 6. And the original premise that Fran put out there was underclassmen who have us the most excited and I'm approaching it from the ones I'm most excited to learn about Fran was going at it from a different just guys that I was guys that I've studied that I'm excited to uh you know kind of do more work on but I'm gonna go with your with your route so I'm actually changing a couple of my names last minute here but I think I'm ready to roll (laughs) it didn't take me long to come up with three names of course no obviously not but just the fact that you know this paper the the rundown is just scribbled and there's just notes all over the place on red colored pencil just everywhere uh do you want me to start things off i'll start things off so so originally okay i was kind of going off of fran's initial list of three guys his initial trio based on maybe some of the positions he didn't check out but uh i wanted to look at at my first position, wide receiver, adding a little more firepower. I'm, I'm looking at this through the prism of the Eagles and wondering, is there a player with some size and some speed and playmaking ability that can be added to this wide receiver group for 2019? And I'm checking out DK Metcalf sure. of Ole Miss and someone who definitely can top, take the top off the defense, uh, someone with that long striding ability, can create separation, uh, he has some suddenness to win at the line of scrimmage. He can make contested catches. Uh, just the the little bit of highlights I've seen, very, very fun player to watch, uh, and I'm excited to dig in more as the uh, scouting process goes on up through the combine and to the draft in April. I studied him over the summer. Okay. So from his, it would be his redshirt freshman year because he's only a redshirt sophomore. And you saw there was potential there, like all the tools and everything, and there was some production his freshman year. But just so unrefined. Like, I, I had to put him as a developmental player coming into the year because, um, you know, as a route runner, very limited route tree. You know, there was just – he was, and he wasn't very good at any of the routes that he did run. Um, just a lot of the smaller points. I thought he was pretty good off press coverage, but a lot of the other smaller points of playing the position had me a little bit concerned. 
Um, but he was, I mean, I think he only played, what did he play, seven games this year before his neck injury, which is another uh, thing that he's going to have to work through Certainly. and have answered. But, um, you know, the, was very, very productive this year in and, and only a handful of games. So I am excited. I would, I would say that he's a, a name that I would put on my list as well as a guy that I'm excited to go back and watch more of from this season. I, like I said, though, there were definitely, he was definitely more of a developmental player as opposed to a plug-and-play guy uh, from what I watched over the summer. Along those same instances, the same lines, I'm going to go with Marquise Brown from uh, from Oklahoma. Hollywood Brown uh, is in the first round of a lot of mock drafts at this point. Undersized, but truly explosive. I mean, that you can definitely see that on TV and through highlights. I mean, this guy, this guy can scoot. He's really, really fun to watch because of his ability to stretch the defense vertically. Also used on a lot of jet sweeps and stuff like that. So he can use that way with horizontal stretches in the NFL. To me, he's the kind of player that would really kind of give this offense a, a shot in the arm, and mm-hmm. I, that's what really excites me about him. What I'm excited to see when I go back and watch the film and talk, you know, you talk about Kyler Murray and all the speed they had on that field. How does he track the deep ball? Like, I, I want to see, like, are you just a speed guy or are you a true vertical threat? Like, that's what made Deshaun Jackson Deshaun Jackson is that he was so good at tracking the ball down the field. I'm hoping to see a semblance of that with Marquise Brown. I like how you separate a speed guy and a vertical threat. Right. That they're not one and the same. It's like you can be a track guy, like you said, and get down the field, but if you're not able to catch the ball – are you really going to pose a problem for, for defenses? Are you going to be able to get onto the field? To be frank, like that's one of the things that concerns me a little bit about Paris Campbell, the wide receiver from yep. Ohio State. Kid can run. I mean, he's so explosive, but they, they weren't a vertical passing team at Ohio State, so there are very, very few instances where you see him having to track a deep ball, and if that's going to be the area that you want to use him in, you're going to have to rely on like the combine and workouts and seeing him how he catches the deep ball because he just wasn't used that way at Ohio State and he didn't run a lot of routes over the middle of the field. If you see him as a slot guy, like there's a lot of projection there. I'm hoping that won't be the case with Brown. All right, my second guy here, because this is Houston defensive tackle Ed Oliver, and I was just intrigued from the standpoint, A, because I would love to add another impact defensive lineman sure. to this Eagles team. I kind of touched on it at the end of the uh, – draft buzz segment with Tony Pauline, but when you have the kid who declared so early for the 2019 NFL draft and everyone thought he was going to be the consensus number one guy. It was like a year ago now. Exactly. That's what I mean. It was yeah. basically, was it at the Combine? It was, was something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was right. It was pretty much a year ago. He declares he's going to go. Everyone says, well, he's going to be the number one pick, but as we may see over the next few weeks, that's not probably going to be the case here. And it's like... I don't know if he'll be there at 25 for the Eagles, but is he going to slide? And if so, why? And then is there going to be maybe a sort of, you know, counterbalance? Does he move back up the draft boards because he shows with his workouts why exactly he decided to declare early for the 2019? Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's interesting to see how it's like, all right, he's going to be number one. Well, maybe he's not going to be number one. Well, maybe can he put himself back in that conversation with a, a strong draft process beginning with the combine? You know the question I think he's going to hear most from teams? What's that? I, you know, Size is going to be a question, all that. I think a lot of NFL teams are going to wonder what he's going to be like having to leave the city of Houston for the first time. Interesting. I mean, he grew up there. He grew up 20 minutes away from campus. That was the main reason why he stayed and was the first five-star recruit to sign with a group of five school. Um, yeah, to me, like that's a, a question I think will need to be answered because what's going to happen now when he's not 20 minutes from home, when he's in 
you know, Green Bay or Chicago or Atlanta or, you know, anywhere, anywhere that's not with the Houston Texans. Um, I think that that's going to be a question. I think that's going to be very interesting to see how he answers, not just publicly, but privately in a lot of those meetings at the Combine. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to stay on defense with my next one. I'm going to go Deontay Thompson from Alabama. Um, You know, really started to catch a lot of buzz. Probably early, part. I would say like late September, you started to see him and he was a popular pick for the Eagles in a lot of mock Mm -hmm. drafts in the middle of round one. Uh, Rangy, center fielder type out from Alabama, was making all kinds of big plays. And then he kind of got spotlighted a little bit on some big plays that the Alabama Crimson Tide gave up in the playoffs. You know, and I haven't watched the film from those games, so I can't say, oh, yeah, he was bad in the playoff games. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that. But I am excited to go and watch because, you know, look, I think you can, you can say, point at safety as a position that the Eagles could look to address relatively early, whether it's first round or second round. And it seems like Thompson uh, could be kind of in that area. And I'm interested to go back and study and see uh, really what his strengths and weaknesses are. I haven't done a lick of work on Deontay okay. Thompson. Because I was going to say, there are some people who say he's clearly the number one safety right. in his draft class. And then we saw Nasir Adderley up close and personal at the Senior Bowl last week. Some people think he's the number one safety. So it'll be interesting when you do your work on Thompson where he ends up ranking. Yeah, I mean, we talked last week. It was, it's a, it was a great group of senior safeties. So how does Thompson and a couple of those, I know like Taylor Rapp from Washington is another guy. Uh, there's a few safeties in the underclassman ranks a lot of people are really high on. All right, my last guy, I'm going with the edge rusher from Michigan, Rashawn Gary. And again, I think it's sort of the same thing where he's creating a debate in the draft community where some people think that he could go as a top five pick. Uh, some mocks have him going as high as two overall. And there are some who think that he's maybe the 25th or so best prospect in this draft class. So I'm just interested to see what is the truth there because at a position that teams certainly need, you would figure if somebody is the clear you know, cream of the crop, that it would stand out, that there wouldn't be so much debate about it. There's an old saying that, you know, your grandmother could could scout right. such and such a player. Um, is that the case with Gary, or is there, what's the reason why there's, you know, somewhat of a, a disagreement in the draft community? And maybe there isn't in the NFL community. Again, yeah, this is what you're sure. seeing on draft Twitter and things of that nature. So uh, Rashawn Gary from Michigan is my third uh, – Underclassman who I'm most excited to study. See, the, the question there is like, what position is he? Because a lot of people say, all right, he's he's best off the edge. A lot of, he th- I think he thinks he's a defensive end. A lot of people think he's best a defensive tackle. Chances are he's going to play a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd be interested to see how teams ultimately will view him. We're not going to know how all 32 view him, but uh, that is going to be an interesting one to to kind of follow. I'm going to go with my last one. I'm going to go with a running back, just because my eyes have been on the running backs as I mentioned earlier with Tony. To me, let's look at Dave Montgomery, a guy that we actually got a couple questions about for the mailbag. I didn't include them because um, I haven't done them yet. But this kid is big. He's powerful. His contact balance is really impressive. I know our friend Ben Fennell saw him live uh, a couple of times and just raved about uh, just how the kid's put together and his ability to break first contact, ability to make that first man miss. That's a quality that I find uh, very, very important for the running back position. So you look at David Montgomery, I think that's a player that, you know, if you're an Eagles fan, you say, all right, maybe not first round, but second round. Let's, let's get a running back in the second round. Mm-hmm. I think David Montgomery – just off the peripheral, what I've seen so far, you know, watching t- highlights and things like that, seems like he's that kind of guy. I'm hoping that my evaluation, which will probably be like you know hours from now, kind of kind of follows that up. Are, are you studying him today? Is he on Potentially, the it'll be today or, or Wednesday. Okay, so it's on the docket there. So those are the six underclassmen who I was most excited to study during the next couple of weeks leading up to the NFL. I would say the NFL scouting combine sure. is kind of the next milestone. I think so. 
in this process. So that's pick six. Up next are Mr. Irrelevant, none other. We talked about the underclassmen. Now let's go to the players who shine during Senior Bowl week and talk about those prospects with Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Our Mr. Relevant this week on the Journey to Drive podcast. You were just coming off the Senior Bowl, a tremendous week in Mobile, Alabama. So we figure we might as well bring in the man who was responsible for making it happen, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Uh, Jim, first and foremost, congratulations on an outstanding first year in a job just from a former scout's perspective, what was it like being on the other side overseeing the event here in 2018 into 2019? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. It was uh, it was a lot different. There's there's no doubt about that. This was my 23rd Senior Bowl, and uh, just to see it from the other side, uh, it, it was a lot different. You know, I mean, it, I the football. I didn't get to see nearly as much football as I have in the past. You know, my week was. Even at practice, was spent, you know, kind of touching base with general managers and, and directors and, you know, friends just about, you know, the roster and things like that. And so I, my focus was really taken away at practice. I'm just getting caught up on all the tape right now, which is which has been a lot of fun. And then, you know, and then just to, to see the players and from a different perspective rather than just strictly an interview and see the inner workings of how, you know, this whole thing comes together from a from a macro level. Um, you know, behind the scenes with our staff was it was it was great, Jim. What I liked about your approach in the weigh-ins and you know before the practices got on underway, you talked about the players who chose not to attend, and in the past there have been some decisions to kind of disparage the players who chose not to attend. You decided to take a positive approach and outline why each of the players decided not to attend. And I like, if, if you follow your, your Twitter handle, which has been great throughout this process, and that's Jim Nagy underscore SB, you've been kind of offering a glimpse behind the scenes of what it was like to interact with the players during the week because we can see the action on the field, but we're not with them in those private moments. We're not with them in those one-on-one meetings with the team. So how, how did you go about deciding how you were going to handle those aspects in terms of the player relations standpoint of running the senior ball? I, that's a that's a great question. I appreciate you asking that. Really, that was I, I kept a roster with me all week. It was really important for me going into the week. One of my goals personally was just to really try to make a connection with every single player that we that we brought to the game. It, you know, on a personal level, the most rewarding part of this whole process, even going back, you know, going back to the fall camp when I started to get out to schools and really hone in on the players for our rosters was was making that connection when they got to Mobile. Um, you know, they, they, they knew what I looked like just from, you know, following me on Twitter and, and whatnot. So it was great to go into the fourth floor where they're all checking in and doing the medicals and getting their physicals done. And then when they – I would walk up to them, you know, to you know, try to congratulate them and welcome them to Mobile. And you could see when it clicked, like, oh, that's, you know, that's the guy. And we, you know, just giving them a big hug and welcoming them here and, uh, it was really rewarding, and then during the week, just try to connect with them at whether it be on the bus to practice or you know in the in the you know lunchroom or you know just in the hallway or on an elevator, just really trying to make that personal connection because these guys made a choice they you know and I told them at the orientation, I think for there was a trend where you know the really top players were 
choosing not to play in all-star games. And this class, we only had six seniors um, decline our invite, which is incredible. And four of them were injury-related. So we had some guys have to drop out late in the process because they weren't healing up from bowl game injuries. But, you know, so the response was tremendous. Um, they just I told them that whole group, you, you, they set themselves apart from everyone else in the draft class because, you know, the NFL – they love this process. They love the all-star games. And, uh, you know, it was my goal to, to start bringing some of these upper echelon players back. So my tip my hat to those guys, and I wanted them all to know, you know, one-on-one how much that meant to me. Jim, it's Fran. And a few months ago you came on the show, and we, and we talked a lot about the safety class. And it was right before the initial round of invites had been announced. And you, you talk about some of the guys that were down there at the game. Juan Thornhill, Jonathan Abram. We didn't get to see practice, but he was there throughout the course of the event. Mike Edwards from Kentucky. You throw in Nazir Adderley from Delaware. Did that safety group, I mean, probably one of the more talented groups overall, but they did they kind of pass the eye test for you? What did you see from that group over the course of the week of practice? And then on Saturday, at the game yeah they they really did i haven't got to the game safe yet i've just made it all through practice but they did a great job like you said it was it was a bummer that that uh, jonathan abram couldn't go he's the one player that got down here that uh didn't pass his physical you know he came down with every intention of play he's trying to he's dealing dealing with a shoulder injury right now he'll be fine moving forward it's nothing big but you know he couldn't do anything during the week but he did The, the great thing was he stuck around both the teams wanted to spend time with them, the Niners and the Raiders. So he was in meetings. He was very supportive, a great teammate through the week. It was, it was really important to him. So I think he really showed his football character while he was down here, even though he couldn't do anything on the field. And, you know, watching Nasir Adderley, you know, that's, I put it out last night. He was dealing with a high ankle sprain, and you wouldn't have known it, you know, going through the week if you just watched the tape for the practices because he still had that you know, that short closing burst and his ability to, you know, plant and drive on plays where usually an ankle injury would affect that. So Nasir showed up really well all week. You know, he's named captain by the Raiders in the game because uh, just to, you know, give him give him some props for how he, how he performed all week. And then, as you said, you know, Juan Thornhill showed up. Marquise Blair was, uh, did some nice things the first day and a half before he got hurt. And all the way to Darnell Savage was our, our practice player of the week in the secondary. And that's, uh, you know, that was voted on by, by a, a poll of scouts. So they saw a lot of good things out of, out of him. It was just Hari Willis and Will Harris are both really intriguing guys that have some interchangeable value, uh, free safety, strong safety. So I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been more pleased with how that safety group uh, showed up. And then, and then Jaquan Johnson in the game. I mean, the guy, he would have been the South MVP had, uh, Tyree Jackson not led that final scoring drive. Uh, Jaquan played great in the game. You know, Jim, I think one of my favorite parts of the week was watching the one-on-one wide receiver defensive back matchups, and you just went through the litany of talented safeties who are there in Mobile. And I think you could say the same for the wide receiver position. And uh, Debo Samuel was the senior bowl practice player of the week for the wide receivers, whereas Fran and I actually thought he was the best player all week overall because we actually went through a list of uh similar awards ourselves right. on the podcast we thought samuel was the best player uh down there all week but not not just debo samuel but guys like uh penny hart and terry mclaurin who you talked about some of his off the field character as well can you talk about some of the wide receivers who helped increase their draft stock there in mobile yeah penny hart you guys nailed penny hart had a great week um 
He was a guy early in his career as a freshman there at Georgia State, really burst on the scene and was the most dynamic player in the Sun Belt as a freshman. And then, you know, that position being a defendant position, he really got hurt by some quarterback play, um, a drop-off. You know, the guy he had as a freshman is up playing in the CFL right now is a really good college football player. So, you know, to get Penny with some guys that could get him the football this week and show what he can do, you know, as a route runner and with the ball in his hands in space, he's, he's He's, you know, he's a really dynamic player. Coming into the week, I thought that, you know, he might be a backup slot at the next level. But after seeing him in all these practices, um, you know, I think he's going to start. I think he's going to be a starting slot. He kind of reminds me of Jamison Crowder coming out of Duke a few years ago. And then the guy going through the tape that I, I probably – two guys, really, that I, I didn't give enough credit to. I mean, I liked him, obviously. <laughs> obviously, we invited him, but they're even better than – and I didn't see either – Either player play live myself, our, our staff did, but Keelan Doss at, at UC Davis I thought had a great week. Uh, for, a, for a bigger guy, he can really drop his weight. He's a savvy route runner, uh, just really knows how to get open. I did hear a, co- a comparison to uh, our guy, uh, Keenan Allen. I heard a Keenan Allen comparison, and that's not off base. You know, after I've, after I've had the chance to go back and watch the practice tape, I thought Keelan really had a nice week. And then Gary Jennings from West Virginia was, was a late ad for us because he had been hurt all through December and January, and we were kind of waiting it out with him. And, uh, you know, finally reached back out to him the week before our game, and he said he was ready to go. And, man, what a big, strong, explosive guy. Just watching him drive off the line of scrimmage uh, and get vertical, you know, just he's got a lot of traits. I think that the league's going to be enamored with the guy after this week because the practice tape was really good, and uh, he's got a great attitude. He's really, really sharp kid. Uh, I would say in that re- like he and McLaurin are like blow you away when you get to spend some time with him. So I would say those two guys, Dawson and Jennings, really helped themselves. As a quick follow up to that, Jay, you just made me think about it because you're talking about Penny Hart when he was a freshman. How many of these guys did you have a little bit extra juice for? Maybe that you scouted when you know earlier in your career when you were a scout. Maybe when those guys were a little bit younger, uh, you know, guys like Penny Hart. You saw them early on, and that kind of stuck with you. And you got to the point now where it's a little bit late in the process, and you need to add a guy, and you kind of harken back on some of those experiences from when, when they were a little bit younger. Well, it, it, it did help throughout the fall because I was, you know, I had to cross check so many players when you're, you know, going doing an entire country. Uh, my time was limited. Again, it's not, I, I don't have time to sit and watch tape all day because there's so many other elements to, to this job that I have. So, you know, for guys like Hunter Renfro, I barely watched any tape on Hunter from this year just because I'd seen so much in the past. I knew I wanted him here. Penny was a guy that I knew I wanted in the game from the get-go just because going back. So it really did. It, it, it really helped me save some time on, on some players I had a history with. Staying at the offensive skill position, who of the, the guys that you had down there at the running back position do you think had the, the best week of practice? I mean, I know Dexter Williams won the practice player of the week, but you know it can be tough at times to be able to gauge how, you know, from a media standpoint or even just watch it from the stands how running back does in practice because it's, you know, it's not live contact. So Dexter Williams wins player of the week. How did that carry through to the game, and were there any other guys that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, we, you know, it was a close, it was a close, uh, for that practice player of the week thing, it was close, and we really gave it to Dex for what he did in the past game, because like you said, we're, we're trying not to tackle to the ground and beat these guys up during the week, so it is the most difficult position to, to really evaluate, uh, during the practice week, but Dex was a really hard cover all week, you know, on the checkdowns and some of those linebacker one-on-ones, 
he he was a handful for those guys and he kept he caught the ball naturally so we gave it to him uh you saw the explosiveness you saw a couple of cuts he made during the week where he showed his vision and ability to you know bounce it or or cut it back he, he he's, he's really got a lot of upside at the position kind of a late bloomer there in south bend you know karan higdon he was joking with me he's like man i thought i had that practice player award and and I, you know, me being a Michigan alum, I said, you know, I just didn't want to be accused of being a homer, Karan. And uh, he laughed. You know, he laughed about it. I said, well, go get it in the game. You know, and he was he was great. Um, just going through this practice stuff, and in the game, I thought Tony Pollard from Memphis did a really nice job showing his versatility. Um, in the past game, you know, he played a, a lot of receiver at Memphis, and uh, he's obviously got the kick return stuff because he's the all-time NCAA leader in kickoff return touchdowns. So. He's a valuable guy. Um, that running back group, we had a lot of attrition um, at that position, and that's probably the one position we couldn't afford to have it. But uh, the, the guys we the guys we picked up and brought in, I thought did a really nice job. West Hills, you know, was on that opening drive for uh, you know the North team from uh, Slippery Rock, and he had a couple really nice runs. I thought he scored on the on the run before he got hurt. He, rolled his ankle um, on a goal line play and couldn't play the rest of the game, and he was devastated about it because he really looked like he was going to come out and have a nice game too. So um, that position group really really came together and played well. Yeah, Hills really stood out, a local kid, Wildwood, New Jersey. I actually like the Higdon uh, story there, talking about how he was hoping to get the practice player. I like like him bringing that to the table. So uh, I was watching the video you did, Jim, when you were announcing the practice players of the week and the overall practice player of the week, Chuma Adoga from USC, uh, tackle who proved he could play both left and right there at the senior bowl. I, I love the, the story you put out how on that final day of practice, uh, they did a little one-on-one O-line, D-line at the middle at the 50-yard line to kind of cap off the week of practice. And he called out LJ Collier from TCU and stonewalled him uh, to give the O-line the win. Uh, with Idoga, he wasn't just the only offensive tackle who stood out, obviously, but Andre Hillier from from uh, Washington State and and uh, also Titus Howard from Alabama State as well. Also thought had very impressive weeks. Yeah, those three players all stood out. I think Andre Dillard um, is going to end up being a first-round pick. And just watching the tape this morning where he's got upside too, he's got such good feet. Um but, you know, he still doesn't use his hands like he could. He still doesn't use that length. So when he, you know, really lands a punch and gets more honed in with his hand use, he is going to be really hard to beat because his feet are phenomenal. Uh, I thought Caleb McGarry from Washington had a really nice week too. But Tuma stood out because, you know, he played right tackle at USC, kind of like Tyron Smith was a right tackle. And for Tuma to come over and play left tackle during the week and look as comfortable and effective as he did, that's saying a lot. That's a real. It's a harder conversion than, you know, the average fan would think. You know, from being in a in one in a right-handed stance to a left-handed stance, um, it's difficult for these guys to to flop sides of the ball. And Chuma went over there and looked like he'd been playing left tackle his whole career against a really good edge rush crew that we had down here at the game. So um, I think he proved he can be a left tackle at the next level. And I don't know if anyone helped their helped their stock more than Chuma did during the week. Last question for you, Jim. I'm really interested to get your thoughts on the pass rusher from Louisiana Tech, Jalen Ferguson, set the career sack record in the FBS with 45 sacks. 
comes into the week, obviously a big-bodied kid and was super, super productive. I'm interested to get your evaluation on him and just how you feel that he will make that transition in the NFL. Some have questioned about you know his athleticism and whether or not he'll be able to stand out off the edge as a primary guy getting after the quarterback. Do you kind of see that upside with him when you look at his transition to the NFL? Yeah, I do, I do see it, Fran. I think he's going to be a good NFL player. Um, you know, that, that production speaks for itself. And it's not just, you know, people see Louisiana Tech, but you can put on games against LSU where this guy, you know, going up against SEC-level opponents, he, he holds it more than holds his own. And I kind of compare him a little bit to Marcus Davenport last year from UTSA who went 14th overall to the Saints. And, uh, you know, if you question Ferguson's athleticism, I think he's a better athlete than Davenport. Um, taking nothing away from Davenport, I thought he was a little linear as an athlete. Now, really powerful and had heavy hands and good football player. Don't don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, watching the two guys rush game, I thought that uh, I think Ferguson's got a little more shake to him than, uh, than Davenport did. And he's got the same kind of ability to go from speed to power and use use that punch and, and extension on his rush. So um, I, I think Jalen's going to have a, a really good career. And I know just speaking to my friends around the league, uh, people see him similarly. It was great to see he and Montez Sweat and uh, Zeminas. I mean, it was really a, a fun week to see those guys, you know, one after the other in practice. Jim Nagy. The executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Jim, before we let you go here, and again, plug the Twitter handle. It's a great follow, tremendous draft insight and information, not just for what they do on the field, but you know, Jim got to know these guys behind the scenes. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim Nagy underscore SB. Uh, Jim, I know you don't do this alone. Who are some of the other scouts who helped you, uh, you know, cultivate this talent to put on this tremendous showcase? Yeah, it was totally a team effort. Thanks for asking that. Um, uh, you know, I tried to – I acknowledge those guys at weigh-ins. Well, I hired four guys that scouted in the league a long time. Zach Boshin was with the Browns for a long, long time. Um, made it through like six regime changes before he finally got caught. You know, that's just going to happen when you work in football. Zach's a great scout. He did the West Coast for us. Ryan Kesnick from the Chicago – was with the Bears the last five, six years as a national scout. Ryan and I were together in Kansas City. He did the Midwest and did a tremendous job. Um, you know, between his home in Madison, Wisconsin, and, and doing some part-time work in Evanston with the Northwestern program. And then uh, Seth Turner uh, worked in the middle of the country. Seth, I think, had 19 years in the league, so he'd been doing it forever, too. Seth did a great job. And then Jim Yock was our senior member. I think Jim had 23 or 25 years in the league, and he worked out of Charlotte and did the Northeast. And um, you know, all the all the uh, ACC schools, Boston College, Syracuse, all the schools that came down into the state of North Carolina, he was able to do so. And then I, we've got two, I've got two in-house scouting assistants, Dante Farnioli and Jack Gilmore, who were in training camps with NFL teams this past year, two great young guys. And, you know, so between the seven of us, we, we really worked hard. And the, the, the thing that I took the most pride in is of the 114 guys that showed up at the Senior Bowl this year, we saw 105 of them live in games this fall. So, you know, we really tried, I really tried to build this thing out like a, another personnel department, kind of like the 33rd team. And, uh, you know, it worked out geographically where we had good spread, good coverage across the country. Um, but those guys really, really worked hard, and I, I appreciate you uh, allowing me to, to bring them up. Definitely showed. So, 
Uh, as Jim touched on, the last player he talked about was Jalen Ferguson, the all-time FBS leader in sacks. We actually caught up with him one-on-one during the Senior Bowl week. Let's go to that interview now in our unofficial visit. The unofficial visit. Hello, Eagles fans. Chris McPherson here with the all-time leading sack artist, Jalen Ferguson from Louisiana Tech. Is it a coincidence? Jersey number here, 45, and college 45, and you had 45 sacks? You agree? It was a coincidence with the uh, 45 sacks and number 45. But I was happy to have number 45 when I came out here. You just got to keep it going. Yeah, all I do is keep it going. Hopefully, you know, it's going to be a little bit more at the 45 at the senior bowl. So what's the secret to get after quarterback? You've done it better than any player in FBS history. How'd you do it? Getting out the ball and working every play. No players off. All I can do is work to get better. Where's that mentality come from? Come from my strength coach, Coach Kurt Hester. You know, he taught us, you know, whatever you did, it don't count. Everything you thought you did last year, it didn't count. Everything I did in the season, don't count. Season over right now. So now we just got a pure work mentality right now. So how does that help you moving forward, that you already have that mentality as you start to your pro career? It makes me hungry. It makes me want to do more. It makes me want to be greater right now. I feel like everything I did in college was good, but it's not good enough. I came out here to play against better competition, and I see that I need to make some major improvements in my game right now. When did you think that the NFL would be a possibility for you? Uh, when I came to college. You know, it's every you know every little kid got the dream to go play professional football. Every kid, every kid has a dream, but when did you think it's actually a reality that maybe you would have your name called in the NFL draft? When I came to college, got like 14 sacks. I thought, you know, maybe it's a possibility. Then I get 17, I thought, yeah, it's about my time. <laughs> Who would you say, and I can't name any teammates here, putting you on a spot here, was the toughest tackle who you faced in the last season? Uh, oh, left tackle, O'Shea Dugas. You know, big guy, big, big one. Big one. But, yeah, he was the toughest tackle I played against. Other than that, it had to be you know, 55 from Mississippi State. You know, he got good hands, good violent hands, and he put me on my toes. How'd you win, though? You still came out on top, so how did you end up winning in those battles? Violent hands, just keep working. Just keep beating them down with my hands, all I could do. Just keep on working for it until I got to the top. Jalen, you mentioned your strength coach. Are there any other things you've done to enhance the rushing attack that you've had? Yeah, I do a lot of work with my hands. With my co- uh, D-line coach, Coach Rick Peacher. You know, he specializes in hands and hands and hands and reps. Also had, you know, my mentor, Chuck Smith. We, we working all the time, every time. We're probably going to work tonight. It's getting better. We're going to talk on my game, work on my game to get better with it. What do you love about getting after the quarterback? <laughs> Second the quarterback. That's it. It's nothing else to it. It's my job on the field. It's like the man who get paid the most. What's the most underrated aspect of getting after the quarterback? Get off. People don't understand that you got to get off the ball fast. You got to run fast. It's not all about the big body. You know, you got to get off too. You got to have good violent hands. You got to be fast with it. The man who knows how to get after the quarterback better than any player in FBS history, Jalen Ferguson. Thank you very much for joining us here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Last but not least, it's our draft mailbag. And, you know, we'll kick things off. We got to put our money where our mouth is. And we say, please rate, review, leave comments wherever you consume our podcast. And the first one is from Apple Podcasts. It's the way, it's, it's a guarantee. I can't get to every single Twitter question to get, to get it on the show. But if you put it on Apple Podcasts or, or Stitcher or anywhere, it's going to end up here. All right. So, Matt, on Apple Podcasts, asks, what do you think about stutter steps? For example, as in a wide receiver, defensive end, or running back, he believes that a stutter step reflects a stutter in the mind. Or, in Mr. Duffy's words, I like Mr. Duffy there, Thank you, he lacks a plan of action. 
compare Zach Ertz where every movement has a purpose and leads to the next movement. I think this is something that's hard to fix, which is bad news for someone like Andy Isabella because he was, and I'm quoting here, stuttering like a mug. <laughs> I think Great question. Great question. Very good question. I, I think when you, when you look at that, you have to be able to decipher whether or not the stutter steps are done with a purpose or not. Because mm-hmm. there are guys, and look, we were, I was t- we were talking about Josh Jacobs earlier. I think the big difference between Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs in terms of their vision, because I think both of them, Damian Harris's vision is is really, really good. I mean, he is a very smooth runner, very little wasted movement. With Josh Jacobs at times, you'll see there are times where it might take him a couple steps before he, he makes that decision to get to the hole. It's not you know particularly slow. I didn't write it down as a huge negative, a huge knock on him, but there is a difference in the way both guys see things. And now part of that could be that Damian Harris was the primary guy. He got more work. He got into a little bit more of a rhythm on a game-by-game basis. But some of that you can look at and say, all right, like there, there are times there where he looks like he's a little bit indecisive. With Isabella, and I didn't see every single rep of Andy Isabella last week at the Senior Bowl, but there are times where you look at Andy Isabella and those stutters are with a purpose. I mean, he's trying to get the defender to flip his hips. He's trying to get the guy to break down or flat step and so he can break opposite. I mean, those are the things that you have to kind of keep an eye out for. Zach Ertz is great at that, you know, where he might, he might kind of lull you to sleep with how he's running his route and, <laughs> then, he break, and then he breaks you uh, breaks you down and he was able to create that separation. I think when you look at all those different positions – a lot of guys will use those false steps as ways to kind of throw the, the, the opponent off of, his, off of his trail. I think that's something to keep an eye out for with a guy like Isabella. I would think, especially at the wide receiver position, that it would be part of the route more than anything else in terms of, like you mentioned, how to sell it. I think it's, you mentioned running back, I think of defensive end, where you kind of are thinking on the fly more than anything else. You're not really dictating as much there to the opponent that you have to kind of think about, all right, What's my plan of attack here? How am I going to proceed? But you have to be careful, though, because there were times, actually, and I can remember from the indoor practice, from the mm-hmm. Wednesday practice, uh, a couple of reps where Isabella was stuttering too much. And it's, I don't think it was an indecision, though. I don't think it was, a, as uh, Matt said, a stutter, a stutter of the mind. Yeah. I think he, you, can, you can try and get a little too cute, though. And, and some, of those, some of those things, we've seen that with receivers in the past. You're throwing off the timing now of the route. The, the, the quarterback's not going to stick with you all day. No. Uh, you know, so if you're not getting open, you're not getting open, whether that means you're covered or if you're trying to mess around with the, the corner too much. So um, you know, I think that that's something to, to keep an eye on with as well, and that, that applies to pass rushers as well. That's, that was interesting while watching some of the one-on-one wide receiver defensive back workouts at the Senior Bowl because a guy may make the catch, and everyone will be like, oh, the receiver won that rep. But if it took – three or four seconds for the route to develop, it's like you're not going to have that right. much time. You know, we talk about guys getting rid of the ball in two and a half seconds. You and I walked out. There was the, the David Sills one that you and yes. I watched where he went, I mean, it was like three yards too wide with his release, then broke inside, flattened out, and got the catch. And it was like, yeah, he got the catch, but, like, there's no way that route, like he's going to be able to get that route unless yeah. he's fourth in the progression. Like, exactly. That's not going to happen. You know, there's another instance where a receiver, I think, fell you know, at the line of scrimmage, got back up, and still made the play. It's like, well, if, right. you, if you fall, guess what? The quarterback is probably off of you. So. Yep, good point. Great question there, though. Great way to start this off. Uh, our next one, at Red Star 22, wants to know, D-line or O-line in the first round, which position is deeper in this class and notes that loves the show? Well, I think I would say D-line is probably deeper. And it's probably stronger at the top. Yes. But O-line's really good, too. So, And whenever you have a question like this, you know how I go, Chris. 
You who's best, avail- who's best, available? Best, best play. It's who's available. So you're looking at and you're saying, okay, uh, you know, if guys are really close together, you might take depth into account and say, all right, well, we've got two guys really highly rated. Um, you know, they're both pretty similarly rated and graded out and from our scale. But, you know, there's X amount of defensive linemen left and only this many offensive linemen left. You may trend more towards the offensive linemen in that kind of case. But that will actually get into our next question. Believe yeah, it or not, I think so. if there, I think if there is. Uh, a, a huge disparity. You're going with the better player. Yeah, the the biggest thing there is you got to get the best player at the end of the day. That's what it's all about. Yeah. So either way, but I would love. Look, I'm completely on board if the Eagles address either of these in the first round. So yep. of this draft. Uh, so segue to our next question at Jamie five eight five one nine seven five five. I would love to know where the number comes from. Uh, from Twitter wants to know. If there's great depth on both lines, is it better for the Eagles to wait and address either line outside of the first pick? So we could just go back to the scenario with D-line, O-line. Both are deep positions in this draft class. Will, and I think you actually touched on this with Greg Cosell on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. That was it, a fun discussion with Greg. That was good. It's always a good discussion with Thank Greg. You. He's all he's all about the philosophical yeah. discussions. That you look at, the say, the D-line market. You mentioned on the on that podcast that there's a lot of quality free agent defensive linemen available, but if there's this historic potentially historic group, as Howie Roseman said, of D linemen available in the draft, are you just going to wait? And if you get to the draft, if you're like, well, if there's five really good D linemen, let's say, who we can probably get with our second round pick, are we fine just waiting there and taking someone later to? fortify another position where there's going to be a significant drop-off if we don't get that position early. I think that it's tough to make that plan ahead of time and say, all right, we're just going to go in and we're just going to skip offensive defensive line in the first round. We're going to target you know, running back or linebacker or safety or another position um, because you don't know who's going to fall to you. And to me, if you have an offensive lineman, and let's say you go in and that's your plan, all right, we're, we're going to pass an offensive line. We're going to wait till the, till the second day. And then a guy that you have graded as a top ten player comes and falls into your lap. Let's say Juwan Taylor falls to your lap for some reason. Yeah, scrap that plan. Take Juwan Taylor. Exactly. Right? Like, to me, you have to kind of take it as it comes. It's very, very tough to say, okay, we're just going to go in and uh, and you know all, just focus in on this position or that position. That's how you get into trouble. You know, the Eagles do mock draft scenarios. No question, because they, they want to know if X player if they get to the twenty fifth pick and if these five players on the board, where would they go? So they try to prepare themselves as much as possible, but there are instances, and I can think of a couple over the years, uh, the Jerry Macklin draft uh, mm. comes to mind instantly yeah. as like, we didn't think that this guy was going to fall this far. We got to go up and get him. Like, you just got, it's Fletcher too good. Cox. Fletcher, Fletcher Cox, yeah. You know, it's one where I think the Eagles were hoping they didn't have to move up for, but once he was there at 12, that was like the win yep. right there for them. So, um, certainly you try to predict whatever scenarios, but there's going to be times where you just don't know. But I think, again, the the main question was, is it better to wait? I think you just got to get the best player because you're not going to view every player the same. And you, you might say, all right, player A is, is immensely better as a long-term prospect than player C, D, or E. Let's get player A and feel very good about that instead of like, eh, you know, he should be good, but we're not going to be as sure. Now's around the time when people are doing like those mock draft simulators, right? We're getting a lot of those uh, screen grabs in my in my mentions. I do them every once in a while okay. as well. 
What's every once in a while? Re- really, truly, every once in a while. Okay. Um, but I think it's interesting because I think everybody, since everybody, a lot of people do them, and if you do them often, you might go into it saying like, "Ah, oh, I'm going to wait for offensive linemen. Ah, oh, I'm going to wait for offensive linemen." And then you get to the point where you're like, all right, let me look at the offensive lineman, and there's nobody there. You're like, well, that's great. And that yeah. happens with fantasy football drafts every summer. Of course. Right? Like the same thing happens. So uh, it's, it's, it's the same strategy. All right. Next question comes from at SC Eagles fan. Jeffrey Simmons or Christian Wilkins, if both are available at 25. I love Wilkins. Uh, Simmons, the upside. If you took Simmons' top 10 plays, you look at it and you say, oh, man, like, and he would be a guy I still need to do more work on. I've only studied him over the summer so far, so haven't watched the 2018 film, but. Wilkins to me is yeah, he's one of my favorite players in the draft. Like I know da- Daniel Jeremiah had him going to the Eagles at twenty five yes. in his most recent mock. And said it's a top ten I'm talent. Sp- and- I'm sprinting to Nashville. <laughs> like I'm on ninety five, flying down. And what, I actually don't even take ninety five Nashville. What, uh, you go down. Uh, you go to Western PA. You go to Har- towards Harrisburg and you fly <laughs> down. Like that's why I'm <laughs> s- sprinting, uh, Forrest Gump style, to go run that card into the podium. All right, uh, next question. I know you love Wilkins, so I figured that was going to be yeah. a slam dunk for you right there. Uh, at Kev underscore Tailored wants to know, is there any chance you can review Rodney Anderson's skill set? And is he clearly is he, you know clearly a day one or a day two talent, but his stock has fallen dramatically? Could he be a fit here in Philadelphia? So do you have your notes as he's uh, going through his phone right now? Yeah, so he is a day one or day two talent, without question. And if you were to just stack up, best players just based off the film he's probably a top 30 or 40 player in the draft especially based off who i've studied so far but the problem you face is the injuries i mean that's that's a real deal i mean he had the i think it was a knee his first year on campus uh he has the neck that he or no it was the knee it was the knee now and it's the campus or it's the uh the the it's the knee now the neck earlier in his career okay so two pretty severe injuries that caused him to miss a lot of time. Um, only healthy, only season that he was healthy was last season. So really, when you look at Rodney Anderson, you say, "All right, there's not really a lot of holes in his game. He's a big back. He's smooth. He can make people miss." My one question I did have was pass protection, but overall, I mean, I thought he was decisive, good athlete, uh, could bust off long runs, but also got some dirty yards as well. I think I think Rodney Anderson is is outstanding. But you got to tell you, I mean, the medical's real. I mean, it's a, that's a, a big part of it. So, uh, to me, that's why he's going to be likely a day three selection. Even if he got a clean, but like if they came back and were like, yep, knee's good, you have to wonder, like, is he going to stay healthy? Because it's been an issue. So, how you mentioned your rankings. How much do you think they're going to change with the influx of underclassmen? Oh, it's going to change. It's okay. going to change a lot. Yeah, it's going to change a lot. Uh, our next question comes from at Benamino Blanco. Nice. If I apologize, if I mess up, I apologize. I think that's how I would have said it. Yeah. It's pretty good. Uh, other than Marquise Brown, Ooh. we talked about. Yeah. Are there any other prospects the Eagles could target to bolster the vertical passing game? So let me uh, let me go to my wide receiver list right now. This is all based off of who I've studied so far. Uh, I'm just going to go you know straight down the list. Okay. So we've saw we saw Debo Samuel up close last Certainly. week. We saw Andy Andy Isabella up close last week. Both guys I think have some vertical ability. Um, I would say Demarcus Lodge, who I saw the week before uh, at Ole Miss, DK Metcalf's uh, teammate there. Mm-hmm. I think that he's got some vertical ability as well. Not quite to the level of Brown. I don't. I wouldn't say any of those guys are to the level of Brown. Uh, we mentioned uh, Paris Campbell earlier. I think Paris Campbell's got great vertical speed. Has to. Be, it's a little bit of a projection now in terms of whether or not he can be a true deep threat. Nyquan Murray, who wasn't at the Senior Bowl, wasn't at the Shrine Game, Florida State. I think the kid can run. He's a little bit undersized for sure. Uh, Emmanuel Hall. 
from Mizzou, who was supposed to be at the Senior Bowl, yeah. um, pulled out because of the groin injury that hampered him for most of the season. That kid can run. He's really, really intriguing on film. He's 6'1", uh, long arms, basketball background, great track athlete. Um, just a, a quick peek. He will be one of my uh, projected like top testers for the combine at the wide receiver position. Uh, keep an eye on Emmanuel Hall. Uh, DK Metcalf uh, can run mm-hmm. for sure. Um, the the other guy that I would throw in there would be another player that we saw last week is uh, Alex Wesley from Northern Colorado. Uh, we didn't see a ton of it last week, but he's got some vertical ability. I, I think he's going to test very well as well. There you go. So there's a full list there. And I haven't. Uh, there was a bunch of juniors that I didn't that I haven't studied yet, so I didn't go through. But I would throw them on that list as well. You do a whole. Have you already started your uh, combine preview? Or the templates there. The templates there. Okay. I just copied last year's document and, and called the template. That's all I got. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing so. wrong with that. If it ain't broke. That's right. Our last question comes from none other than Philadelphia Eagles alumnus, Bo Wolf. That's right. At Bo Wolf on Twitter. Uh, enjoyed your podcast with him, by the way. Thank you. Birds with fun. friends. So. It was exactly what, I, exactly what I expected it to be and that it was completely unexpected. So uh, I like the champion there, our boy Garrett Bradbury. That's right. You know, coming out of the – Offensive lineman of the week. It's yes. Simple. Uh, come out, it was. If you haven't listened to it, it's, it's worth it. It's a field of sixty-four. Uh, Bo ranks them by by value, and Fran has to decide each individual matchup. Goes through every single one. It was very difficult to like separate because you know he wanted it to be like who's most like who are the Eagles most likely to take in this scenario. It was very difficult to just separate my own feelings from each guy. Because, well, I think I mean, it's, that's part. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge part of it. Yeah, but I mean, it was, it was, your it was own a evaluation, fun, fun so. podcast for sure. It was good. It was very good. Thank so, you. Uh, who will be? The median player selected in the 2019 NFL Draft, right smack dab in the middle. So I did a little bit of work on this. 256 players were drafted last year, which would make the median player pick number 128. Last year, that was my boy, Contavious Street from NC State, oh, the defensive lineman really? who went to the San Francisco 49ers. He was the median pick in last year's draft. Uh, he went three picks after the Eagles took Avante Maddox out of pit. So we're talking about a late fourth-round pick. Yeah. I'm going to go with a guy I just mentioned, Emmanuel Hall from Missouri. Interesting. Who I think would probably go a little bit earlier if healthy, but um, he's a little bit unrefined, so there's some projection here. And he was bothered this year by the the soft tissue injury. I'm pretty sure it was a groin. It was either groin or hamstring. Um, I think you're right on that, yes. Yeah, so uh, this is a guy that I think has a lot of ability, can run. I think he's going to go in those middle rounds. I think a lot of these receivers that enter will probably bump him down a little bit. Um, But I'm going to go with Emmanuel Hall. I like that you At came pick up with number one twenty eight. <laughs> so we'll go back and check on this later and see if Emmanuel Hall goes and pick. This will be a fun one to go back and, and research. What if I long. nailed that? Like, what if if, if Hall is pick number one twenty eight? We'll come up with. Something. I think Bo should have to reward me with something. That I think that's fair. Yeah. that one would be fair. Have to rename the podcast in right. your honor or something like that. So uh, I think that's going to do it. I mean, those are all the the questions that we got. Some phenomenal ones there. But again, uh, make sure to. If you want to just leave a comment, rate, subscribe, wherever it is you listen to podcasts, please offer the support. It is greatly appreciated. So, again, for all of our special guests, for Tony Pauline, Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl, and the man behind the glass, BT, Brian Thomas, our producer, holding it down for us back there. Um, anything you want to add there, Fran? 
No, I think that's it. We're uh, we're we're grinding along here. We're going to have some great coverage of the combine here in a few weeks, but uh, we'll get into previewing Indianapolis, our our favorite one of our favorite trips of the it's year. It's my home away from home. Come uh, on, now. we'll uh, we'll be previewing that here in the next couple of weeks. Certainly will, and it's going to be interesting because next week the off season is fully underway for the entire league. That's right. So for Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. You've been listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. We will be back next week.